Today on the show, we're talking about working for money. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. Today on the show, you're joined with myself, Courtney, and my co-host, Trevor. And today on the show, we're talking about working for money. And this sounds like a pretty shallow topic on the surface. I mean, why else would you go to work? But I think we're going to uncover here that if your sole purpose for working is for money and you're only showing up for money, if there's nothing else in it for you in terms of satisfaction, gratification, any of those other soft things, then you're going to have a pretty miserable life in my opinion. There's definitely a lot to unpack about today's show. And today's show is based around the seven, seven uh, element that we've been kind of focusing on about what poor people do that rich people don't. And again, we are reshaping the narrative of this and in, in talking instead about things that successful people do. Successful people. Actually, we're, we're going to stop reshaping that narrative because we, we wanted to spin this in a positive way. We wanted to say, so the article we found, it was interesting. It was 25 things poor people do that rich people don't. And so it ended up being a list of all the things you shouldn't do if you want to be rich. And I, I, I don't like that because you could not do all those things and still not succeed. I'd rather spin it as what should I do? You know, here's all the, this, so this is 25 things I should avoid. Why not spin this to the 25 things you should pursue, right? That's, uh, it's more positive and it, it's maybe more constructive, but we had so many, so we reframed it to 25 things successful people do. Well, we got an avalanche of emails saying, yep. how do you define a success? You know, what's a successful person? One person's success is different than other ones, but we, we, it, it, the success was wealth, you know, that, that was the whole premise of this. So I think we're done reframing this in a positive light. We're going to go with the 25 things poor people do that rich people don't. Yes. Yes. So on today's episode, we're going to, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we are going to, two things you can look forward to, to us uh, talking about with us today is the problem with working only for money and then how to approach working for more than just money. Now, I just want to start with, you know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting for a minute that anyone's going to work and money is not a prime motivator. Like money is front and center. When you apply for a job, the most important question that you never ask is how much does the job pay, right? Like that that's and when you leave a job to go pursue another job, it's probably mostly motivated by money. Money solves a lot of life's problems. And it's also why we get certain education and why we pursue different different paths. Money's a factor, right? But it can't be the only thing you're doing see i have a question for you around that so i i don't know if you've told the story here on the on the podcast before but you pursued a career path for uh, for an, to become an accountant from your previous career path because it would provide a maybe a bigger income but so so you were you were driven to pursue that path because of that so i I, st- I started out, I was educated in materials management. And I, I did that for, I don't know, five, maybe eight years. And decided that the there was not a lot of 
gainful employment to be had in that line of work at the time or where I lived. Maybe you're you maybe you are in materials management and where you live the jobs are falling from the sky. That wasn't the case for me. And I also found the that particular career path was very industry specific. So once you got tied to an industry in materials management, it was really hard to break away into another industry. So I started out in the packaging industry and I started to pursue jobs materials management in other industries and nobody was interested at all with the skill set I had to offer. <laughs> Very demoralizing. But I, where I worked, there was accountants and in talking to them, I, I realized their skills were super transferable. So accounting for a packaging company wasn't a whole lot different than accounting for a technology company or a car making company. And when people would new people would come to work where I did at this packaging company in accounting, I'd say, where'd you come from? And it was always a completely different industry. And so I, that, that, that appealed to me. So I pursued it partly for the money. So again, I'm, I'm not working solely for the money and partly for the opportunity. And I, I want to say the opportunity was more important than the money because at the start, the money wasn't much different. At the end, I think the money was dramatically different. But my main motivation was I didn't want to be tied to an industry or a particular company. I wanted I wanted to make sure I had flexibility. I had I, I, I could take care of myself. I didn't need uh, the I, I didn't need to be married to a comp- to a specific company or industry. No, and I I'm glad I'm I'm glad you shared that piece about not only the money and the potential earning earning potential from that job but also the opportunity so when i i only i only ask i for that bring up that that example because it kind of speaks to today's topic it does in that on the surface anybody i worked with at that time would have said oh you're doing this for the money and if i said i wasn't i'd i'd be lying but i i was i couldn't tell them I'm doing this more for the, because I made the switch at the comp, the packaging company and I couldn't tell them that, no, it's the opportunities that, that are going to come from this. I don't want to be here for much longer than I have to be. I, I wasn't about to tell them that. So uh, I couldn't share that with anybody. No. Yeah. That, that definitely makes sense. Uh, so I, I kind of want to, I want to talk about something that everyone listening to this today might have heard, but this is Kind of the 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 thing about the earning and your happiness related to how much you earn. So there is there's a there's a there's a study out there, um, a 2018 study from Purdue. It was found on the internet, so we know it's true. We know it's true. <laughs> uh, the per- Purdue University um, used data to so polls people used data and found out that the income point for individuals. Um, is $95,000 for life satisfaction and 60000 to 75000 for emotional well-being. So, so $95,000, that, that is a, a probably a above average income for people in our country, I would think, or above median. But the sixty dollars to $75,000, if you, I think this, if you surveyed these people, I think the questions they would have been asking them are your safety and security needs being met? You know, you think of that Maslow hierarchy of needs. And sixty dollars to $75,000, I'm thinking this is a family, uh, a household income. And 
Oh, no, it says for individuals, isn't it? So for individuals, uh, your safety and security is, is being met. I, I think anything beyond that and it becomes uh, comfort and status and I, I can't remember all the other things that the Maslow hierarchy of need are, but the, the pyramid, it's a pyramid, so those things become less, like they're not the foundation of life. They're, they're, they're add-ons. They're things you add on on top to sort of feather out your life. No, and 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 a really kind of key piece to to the kind of the bare minimum for emotional well being is that the study also found so if if our if we need say, between sixty thousand to seventy five thousand um, for kind of a uh, to kind of keep kind of keep us happy emotionally, they're saying that if we made more than seventy five thousand, our life satisfaction didn't actually improve. So when someone earned more than one hundred and five thousand, their happiness levels not only did not improve, but they decreased. And part of that is at 105,000, a couple of things happen is you, you end up, the one thing you end up is the ability to replace that income becomes challenging. So if you were able to land a job making 105,000 and you had to relocate your whole family to find that job and say you're in a nice place and then that company goes out of business, then then your ability to replace that income probably involves a relocation or, or it, it becomes a challenge. If you made minimum wage, uh, you you could replace that income tomorrow. So part of the decrease in happiness is the stress around losing that, that income, losing that job. I think that starts to weigh on you. I know me personally, as my income went up, I realized it would be harder and harder to find a job to replace this income, and that added a level of stress to my job. I, I, I couldn't. I knew I would have to work really hard to replace this income. And when I say work hard, work hard to find an opportunity to replace this income. So, that's I think where the unhappiness comes from. The other thing is, when you make one hundred five, like one hundred five thousand dollars a year, compared to say sixty thousand dollars a year, you probably end up having a lot of things. To, you have more things to lose, like more, you've acquired more assets, you you become more vulnerable to market conditions, global pandemics, like all these things have can have a bigger impact on you and your, your affluent lifestyle. And this is, I, it makes sense. So after, and, and with that comes status. Yeah. So you've reached a level of status and you also run the risk of losing that status, right? So you might be running in social circles that, that $105,000 works. And if you end up losing that job and end up working for $60,000 a year or $50,000 a year, and you try to run in those same social circles, it may be a challenge. Definitely, because you can't do the same things, go to the same places as the people in your social circles. And this, to think that as soon as we make a certain amount of money that our happiness will decrease, it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but after you kind of elaborated on that, it makes sense. And a question that comes to mind. Do you know what the, the, the magic number is? And they've come up with a number here, but the magic number comes from when you get away from the financial edge of life. And that financial edge is is meeting your basic survival needs, you know, paying your rent or making your mortgage payment and buying groceries and, and having reliable transportation. Once you've met all those basic needs. So it's a safe, comfortable place to live, uh, regular meals on the table and, 
in our society, this sounds trivial, but reliable transportation, be it, be it you live somewhere where there's really good public transit or you own a car, being able to get yourself around, you meet those three basic needs and, and they, they aren't, you're not near the edge of one of those not working out. Like you, you meet those three basic needs with a cushion. I, I think life gets really comfortable really really comfortable at that point now if if you if your income goes up and you buy a fancier house a fancier car and you eat uh, fancier meals i don't think your happiness goes up near as much as it did when you were able to comfortably meet all those basic things so i i think it's this equation is not linear by any means no that makes sense i i want to ask you a question because this this for me relates to today's uh, topic. And I think you've talked about this before on the show, but the kind of the concept, because if we, if we look at a job, um, we, you work in the corporate setting. So technically kind of climbing the corporate ladder is something that an individual could do to earn more money. But you kind of talk, you have talked in the past about working below your kind of full capacity. So, and, and this kind of really relates to this show today. So I deliberately seeked underemployment. So I looked at my education and my skill set and realized what I'm capable of and have actually been approached to accept various promotions in different companies I've worked for and um, politely turn them down. Uh, I got to a level in the, in the corporate world where I knew I could do what was required and a little bit more. I could over deliver every single day. And you would not believe how low stress that lifestyle is when you know whatever's asked of you, you could over deliver every single day. In some days, maybe you don't feel like over delivering. So you just do what's required. And then other days you over deliver they're never like nobody's ever questioning your integrity, your work ethic. It, it is a, and I, I got this advice from somebody who I, I reported to and they, they, they got themselves into a position where they were, it was kind of a little bit, the job was a little bit beyond them and they weren't giving me advice. They were just telling me that they were venting. And I, I was a good sounding board because I was underemployed and had all this this free capacity to listen to people. And I, my interpretation, I felt bad for this individual. They they ended up it not working out for them, but they, um, they described in great detail how frustrated they are with their job. But and, and when I listened to them, I, I got this common thread that everything asked of them was a little bit beyond their abilities. And it, it was that every single day and it just wore them down. And I got thinking of my job at the time. I, I was, any problem that came my way, I, I felt it was well within my ability to solve. And it, not that I didn't have to work hard, but I, I had the skill set, the knowledge base to, to, to over deliver on a regular basis. So on the surface to say, well, well you're going to, why would you not pursue as much money as you humanly possible, right? Why wouldn't you go after the biggest paycheck you could? Well, there's a life balance. And I decided that was my life balance. Be underemployed, over deliver, 
nobody will ever question your abilities, your work ethic, your, your commitment to the job. You will always look like a star. And it turned out that's a rare concoction. And the people that you end up working for really like having somebody like that at their disposal. That's what it turned out to be. I didn't, I didn't plan that. I didn't go in with that plan. Uh, but I was financially rewarded because of that. So it actually ended up working out. I'm, st- I'm still underemployed and, and over-delivering every single day. So that right there is an example where you... I didn't work for the money. Exactly. I, I, I worked for a work-life balance and it ended up working out for me. And I, I think to, to, to how you kind of led your work life, if, if you only, if you're only focusing on that money, you are going to take those positions that are beyond, um, beyond your, your capabilities and your abilities. And I, I get, I, that's just another reason to, to, to not, to not do that. And now one thing this takes though, is you might say, well, wouldn't you get bored in your job? Like, wouldn't it get uh, old? So you have to be wired in such a way that you, you seek because I have I had all this extra capacity, mental capacity, um, time capacity, emotional capacity to over deliver occasionally. Uh, you you end up being able to make the job what you want it to be. Like so, you you can take on more responsibility when you start getting a little bored with your job. You you can you can take on maybe in a temporary capacity, maybe a permanent capacity a little more responsibility, something, go in a direction that interests you, you end, you end up developing a level of respect from your peers and your coworkers in a, in a sort of a different way. You, this, this over-deliver mentality, it, it ends up garnering a lot of respect in the workplace. And I, I, I before we move on to talking about um, kind of, not they're not being a problem with wanting to earn more money I do want to first talk about the idea of earning money because we so people may pursue a different career path may go down a different route just because they want to because it's important to earn money in our society we can't we can't be a quote-unquote starting starving artist just because it, it looks fun our whole our whole life if if, if again we, our goal is to earn money so where's that kind of fine line of wanting to pursue a path that will earn us a livable income versus making, making sure we're not doing just for money. The, the key is to know, to, to have a number or a, a, a lifestyle in mind and try to earn an income that supports that. If you're just in the game of earning more money, no matter how much money you make, the answer will always be, I need more. So, that the key to making this whole thing work is to define a lifestyle that you are trying to achieve. And you can also do that with lifestyle. You, your lifestyle could always mean more. Like whatever car you're driving, there's always a fancier one. Whatever house you're in, there's always a bigger one. The key is to land on a lifestyle and be okay with it and then pursue a comfortable income that supports that. Yeah, we did a show on this before. I'm a big fan of picking the lifestyle first and then finding an income. No, (laughs) I'm a fan of finding, I almost fell into the trap. 
I'm a fan of finding a career path that you can do and enjoy comfortably and then designing a lifestyle that fits into that. Almost got that wrong, didn't I? So that, that to me is the magic. Now, most people, including me, I, I, I chose the, the lifestyle first to some degree. But if you could choose a career path and an income that you could, you could be comfortable with and enjoy and then f- to design a lifestyle that fits within that income parameter, I think you'd be happier. But chasing money, chasing income, it, it's, if that is your, your whole purpose in, in switching jobs and getting an education, the, you will, it'll be a never-ending race because the answer will always be more. But what if you are changing careers to make more income because maybe your current career is not one that has a kind of a long-term viable income earning potential. I'm going to say every career, every career, except maybe the, even the fine arts, but they all have income earning potential. If you're not, if you're not finding that income, if you're not achieving that income, then you're, you are in the wrong career path, right? Because they, you, you can name any career, um, marketing, law, medicine, accounting, teaching. There's people who do really well in those careers and there's people that do terrible. And, and the, the difference is some of it's luck and opportunity, but most of it's probably, it's just a bad fit. You know, there's an expression that if you were, you would. And if you, if you aren't, you won't <laughs> or something like that. But you get the idea that it, that you, there's some careers that just don't fit. Like if you're not good in, in with numbers and you're an accountant, you're, you're not only are you not going to make much money, your job's going to be just a grind every day. And if you are a number, like people tend to come in two forms. They're either numbers people or words people, right? They, they you rarely see somebody who's good at both. You, you see people that are, are competent in both, but they, they tend to have an, they excel in one or the other. Right, like when I get emails at work, I can tell an accountant wrote this because <laughs> it, it's it's worded terribly, and there's there's you know they're using numbers to to explain things, and then I could see when I get an email from a marketing person or somebody in sales, and I ask them a number, I ask them a question, and the response would suggest a new a number like a numerical response, like a, a not a not a spreadsheet, but just I asked you a question. The answer is numeric. <laughs> and I get back a whole bunch of words. It drives me crazy, but I, I know I did, I'm not getting this from an accountant. So what was I expecting? Now that makes sense. And I love that revelation too, that there's always money in every, of, field. every field. And if, if you're not making it, it's just that you're in the wrong field. It could be. It could. Oh, and, and I'm going to say there's people who just, you know, they're in the wrong, there's, you hear, hear the stories of people in the right place at the right time. Well, if that's true, then also somebody is always in the wrong place at the wrong time. That, that's got to be true too, right? Yeah, definitely. So it, opportunity could be a part of it, right? So, so I, just to kind of circle back around then. So you're... Let's just go to, just to say, take marketing. Mm-hmm. Marketing, I think for the most part, requires a very creative-minded person, uh, a risk taker by nature, Right someone who's willing to put themselves out there and they don't suffer from uh, judgment. 
a whole month, right? Like they, they don't really care who's judging them, right? This is my creative work, like it or don't like it. But you take somebody who's, say, in the law field, right? They're great at following rules, regulations, uh, nitpicky details, right? Um, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, right? That's what they're all about. Well, that same marketing person would just despise that kind of work, right? I, I'm, I'm going to dot my T's and cross my I's. I want to be creative, right? They, they would not like that, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And so... I, I, so if someone does, if someone changes career paths, they're doing it more for money then. It, it's what, I'm just trying to, from what you're saying, they're doing it because maybe that career that they were in before is not a good fit. Well, I would hope they're doing it for, okay, money's definitely going to be a factor. Like, so just say you're thinking of changing careers because you're, you're just say you're floundering in your existing career. You're not making much money. And this is a common thing. I'm asking. Yeah, this is yeah. common. Okay. Then I would hope that your first thing, just say you went to school for four years, got a degree in something, and you went out and got a job, and the job doesn't pay much, and the work's kind of mundane, you're not really enjoying it, and you start looking for other jobs in that same career path, and they want like seven years, 10 years of experience, and whatever qualifications you're looking for, you don't have. Well, I would hope you're changing at career paths for a better opportunity or more opportunities to choose from and money will probably be a um, a benefit of that as well but I I switched career paths solely okay I knew there'd be some more money but it was so far down the road that I couldn't even think about that I, I would need to be in a senior position like I am today but when I was making this move my whole reason was there was more opportunity. I love that so much because especially emphasis on the fact that the money wasn't right there because if you, if if, if every, pretend you knew uh, kind of a, a ton of accountants while you were making that transition and everyone's like, oh, you make so much, pretend that pretend that was the narrative. And then you enter the field and, and, and maybe that's not quite the same for, for a junior accountant. And if you only went into becoming an accountant for that reason, then you would be, You'd be like, these guys, these guys, girls, everyone was lying to me. Yeah, you generally, you go into a career path, you generally have to pay your dues, right? That That's just the the nature of the beast, right? You 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 rarely, there are some fields where you come out and you get paid handsomely. You know what, if you go into a a, a trade, so you, you just say you want to become an electrician. I, I know a few electricians. Uh, you become a, an apprentice. And apprentices generally do a lot of hard work, a lot of the grunt work of, and they, they're not paid uh, a huge, you know, they're, they're paid well, but not like an electrician well. And then when you get your, uh, you become a licensed electrician, there's generally a payday. You know, you, you get an a, a electrician's pay grade. And that is a, um, you, you know, compared to, I'm going to say compared to my accounting journey, that's probably a really shorter window of time that elapses from a, an apprentice to a licensed electrician, then from a um, a materials management employee to a a, a senior accountant, like the, the, that transition that rose a lot longer. So, if I was doing that for the money, I, I think my motivation would have ran out a long time ago. But the opportunity part was it ended up being true, and it ended up being more true than I thought it was going to be. In that there was opportunity, there was opportunities constantly 
um, I was being told about an opportunity or you'd get these headhunters calling you with opportunities. And when I was in materials management, none, none of that was happening. So the, the motivation to continue down that path was the opportunity. I love that. And I love the word of the motivation because that's so key. And because you, your whole, your, your kind of career path that you've led is really a true example of the fact that you need more than just money to motivate you. I, so I, I really like that. And my last question before we kind of move on to kind of talking about something else is when you see those people who jump around from job to job. And of course, like you said, they're always looking for more money. What are your thoughts on kind of jumping from within within a single career job from job I'm just kind of in search for that increased paycheck should you is it preferable just kind of to maybe not putting your dues at your current company but that is it worth it just just for that money I think somebody staying in the same job for a long time I think they run the risk of looking complacent and that's as dangerous as somebody who's changing a job every single year they look like a flight risk right so if I'm a a pension employer, and I see somebody who hasn't stuck in a job for more than a year, my first thing I think is, okay, every time this job gets hard, they quit. You know, so they look like a flight risk. And if I look at somebody who's done uh, something just above entry-level position for 10 years, I'm thinking, okay, that person's uh, incredibly complacent. And if the if there's a challenge in the workplace, they're never putting their hand up. Like they're never signing up for anything beyond the basic requirements of what they're being asked to do, and, and, and what they're being paid to do. and being paid to do. And they're that person's working just for the money, possibly, right? So the, both those those pictures um, have a lot of things wrong with them. But I think if you see somebody in the middle and they're moving around, I think if you really looked into it. They are moving around. So just say it's a young person out of school and they work somewhere for two years and then somewhere else for two years and another place for two years. I would hope one thing they're doing is trying to build a resume, build a resume of skills that that employers are seeking. And you could be working at a place and just say you're working in marketing and you you never get an opportunity to work in some aspect of marketing that you know is in demand in the workplace you might actually take a pay cut to go get that skill set at a different company knowing that there's a bigger payoff when you couple the, that skill set with the skill set you already have. All of a sudden, you become this, this gem that people are seeking. So people could move around. If they're smart, they're, they're, in, they're thinking long-term and they're building their resume and they're, they're getting those skills because education will take you I have a theory that your education is your admission to the job interview, and that's it. I've never interviewed somebody and said, boy, if they only had two more years of education, this would be the one, right? Never. It's always they seem a little inexperienced, right? Or they, they really are missing this ingredient, this, this, this experience that we really need them to have, and I don't think they're going to be able to keep up and learn fast enough in this particular job. I've never said boy, if they only had, you know, this, this one piece of education, because you can, you can send someone to school, right? But you, you can't teach somebody experience. Well, I guess you can teach them experience, but you, you, in the work world, sometimes you don't have time. You need someone to hit the ground running. No, I, I absolutely love that. And it's, it's true. It's very, very true. So I want to talk about, um, 
I guess I, I, I right now the how we will do a lot we will do kind of we'll work we'll work jobs for money but there is certain things that we won't do we all have a moral compass built into us believe it or not we won't do anything for money we all have a compass built in and you might think you would do anything for money but if if you're not currently behind bars you're not willing to take someone's life for money right that's something you're not willing to do so that that is a moral compass most of us have an ethical compass you know that we won't do things that are going to harm people, forget murder, but we, like damage people's lives. We won't do things knowingly that, that are going to destroy people's lives in, in order for us to make money. Like, there's just things we, so we have a moral compass. In fact, if, if you, you might think you'd do anything for money, but I think most of us, when we come down to it and you were given an opportunity that looked too good to be true, you know, and then you find out you're, you're running drugs in the back of your, your truck, you know, across the border or something, you know, you, you all of a sudden realize there's just things you won't do. So when we say, you know, don't work from just for money, we already have this built into us. We already, we already will, we have limits on what we'll do for money. That's it's it's a very true point, and I, I I wanted to circle back around to the idea of balance as well, and the fact that um, there is nothing wrong with wanting to earn more money, but there has to be a balance. And how did this come into play when you were raising a family, kind of in the height of that? And because you can't, and how did I guess being a like a being a dad, but also earning money come into play um, when we are talking about kind of wanting to provide as much as we can for our family? So. We, me and my wife structured our life where my wife decided, we decided she was going to stay home and raise our three children and I was going to go to work. And in order to do that, I, I, I had to earn more money, but I didn't want to earn, I didn't want a job in, that required me to work weekends and long nights and all that stuff to be away from my family. So I, I had a limit of how many hours I was going to work, but I also was realistic saying there's also a limit on how much money I'm going to make. But I knew that these child raising years when, you know, we wanted a parent full time at home with the kids was relatively short in the whole scheme of things, right? If, if you, if you're like 25 or 30 right now and you think of uh, the time it takes to raise a child in, in, in terms of the time you need to be present, like I'm going to say once your kid turns 15, they really don't want you around anyway. <laughs> so don't don't try to be a wet blanket and be there all the time. But in those, you know, 0 to 12, 13 maybe at the outside edge, being with your kids, I, I to me it was important, but you you just downgrade your lifestyle for those 12, 13 years when you're 25 or 30, 12 or 13 years is, that's, you know, you've only, that's half your, your life, right? But when I look back and I'm like, I'm in my fifties, 12 or 13 years, I could do anything for 12 or 13 years at this point. So making a small lifestyle adjustment for 12 or 13 years, that's like a small, small sacrifice. And that's, that's the balance I chose, right? Rather than go chase more money, because I, I didn't want to ramp down my lifestyle a tiny bit. My kids really didn't care what kind of car I drove um, at all until 
I don't know, they probably still don't care, but they, they for sure didn't care when they were seven. And they didn't care what kind of house we lived in when they were seven either, right? They, they did care if they had a bedroom in, in, a, in a bathroom and food on the table. But I, I just think, the, you know, I, I, I'll see people were at work and they'll say, I just need some work-life balance. And I'm thinking, well, why don't you sell your Lexus and, you know, take a, a job that's not so demanding and there's your balance, you know, quit chasing luxury and, and chase, chase balance, like act on what you're saying. Yeah. Because you didn't chase money. You, you just kind of chased the, the, the minimum, the, not the bare minimum, but enough for a comfortable life. You threw something out and I, I, I don't want to touch on this before I move on. And you said that you weren't willing to work weekends and evenings. And again, I'm sure we have so many people listening to this today who maybe prefer evenings and weekends or they do work evenings and weekends. But um, this is definitely something that's very subjective and very personal. And there's these kind of guidelines that guide what kind of career path we pursue and what kind of jobs we maybe willingly take on. So was that a factor at all? Or, or, or I guess, what are your thoughts around that? And, and in the terms of what you're willing to do for money? Or is it, is it when you're maybe young in your career, is it, is it a good thing to kind of place it on the table, these kind of limitations? Or, or are they even viewed as limitations? They only became limitations when they had to be. So my children, you know, they were in school while I was working and they were home when I was home. I, that was a, a scenario I wanted. And I, I just made it important. Like I, I made sure that was the way it was going to be. And I didn't, I was realistic in, in jobs I pursued. And if you take a job as a, uh, a high manager, you're just going to, you're signing up for that kind of stuff, right? Irregular hours. It's, 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 you're there till the job's done. You're the sort of the last line of defense. But I, I want, so here's an example. So I, when my kids were younger, I was uh, on the student parent, no, the teacher parent council at my kid's school because I just wanted to be up, you know, I thought it'd be good to participate in some community thing like that. So it was a uh, a group that met once a month. It was made up of teachers and parents of, of kids in the school. So I signed up and joined that for one year just to find out, understand the school system and and, and just be, I don't know, I, I thought it would be beneficial, and it was. But I remember um, one night, one of my kids had a baseball game, and their baseball game was on the same night as one of these parent-teacher council meetings. And I did not want to miss my kid's baseball game. You know, I, I said, you know, and I, I said, well, I made this commitment, I might as well go. And I, I, right at the last minute, I said to my wife, I said, you know what, I'm going to the baseball game. I'm, I'm not going to this meeting. And... Lo and behold, I get to the baseball game and the team are playing. There's another parent <laughs> from that same c- council meeting who made the same decision I did. We both looked at each other. We both acknowledged <laughs> our sins and, and, and enjoyed the evening. But that's how important it was to me. You know, even, even something that involved my kids. I wasn't going to miss one of my kids' activities for, and I, obviously I was on that council meeting uh, group for my kids to understand their school system better. And, but in, that, that's how important it was to me. And I, I'm glad you raised, that's a great story to uh, illuminate that point. But I, I only ask because 
because I guess that's it's not quite the line in the sand that we draw over maybe if, if doing some kind of heinous act as a part of our job description like I'm not I'm the, that's obviously an extreme example but creating a kind of those boundaries for ourselves and what we're willing to do for money um is is something that obviously ha- it happens so it's it's there I guess it's just a, it illuminates that there is more than just earning money so I have a little story I want to say in, in a I'd read this uh in a couple of places I've heard it a lot over the years but there was this um there's this group of people attending a personal finance, a sort of a how to manage your personal finance seminar. And it was a group of about, you know, 20 or 30 people. And they're all in this room. And the instructor at the front of the room, he says, um, everybody in this room, if you could earn an extra $20,000 a year, would it change your life? And everybody's hand shot up. Whole room. $20,000 a year would change my life. 100%. And he said, well, when you all signed up for this course, one of the questionnaires you, you had to answer was your income. You know, and you know those income things where it says, do you make between ten and 20000 and thirty and 40000 And So they, they didn't know your exact income, but they knew your range of income. And, and then everyone's hand shut up. And the instructor said, I can assure you that the person in front of you or beside you either earns $20,000 more than you or $20,000 less than you. There's that much diversity of income in this room. And everybody feels they need $20,000 more to change their lives. You know, Meanwhile, the person beside you probably is making that $20,000 more and their hand went up just like yours did. Everybody's hand went up. There wasn't a person in that room who didn't think $20,000 would change their lives. Yet the guy beside you already earns $20,000 more than you and they're still looking for $20,000 to change their lives. So... That story really sums up how more, it, when you don't have a number in mind, if you don't know how much money you need to earn, how much money you're willing to work for, you'll always want more. And having a number, knowing what you really need to be satisfied and happy is so important. So I want to now run through uh, two different lists we have put together for you. So one is the problem with working only for money and then how to approach working for more than just money. Um, So first, the problem with working only for money, the first kind of big problem with this is there's more, more is always the answer when you do approach it that way. So we just talked about this. So you will always want more money uh, when your only motivation is is working for money. And when we say working for money, you're not working for opportunity. You're just, you're, you're just there for the paycheck and you, you, there's nothing else in it for you. Like you don't enjoy the work. You don't enjoy the, the process of earning the money. You just, you're just there for the money. You'll be miserable and, and cause it'll never be enough. And to add on to that, would you say that the kind of the whys in life are really key to and, 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 also maybe what you have outside of your working life as well and in, in that you know how much you need to support a family and having those priorities as well. well oddly enough, me working to, to support a family was far more um, motivating than me working to save for retirement. You know, me, the, me working to, to, to support my family I was far more engaged in my work. I was far more motivated to do a good job. I was far more motivated to get more involved. Um, still un, under under 
over delivering. <laughs> but but saving for retirement is far less gratifying. I mean, you, you don't get to see the fruits of your labor near as much. The second problem with working only for money is that on a day-to-day basis, motivation is hard. And we, again, we kind of talked about this already, but you, you see this with um, union negotiations a lot. The... A, a, a union will go out on strike and they'll be out in the miserable weather. Just say they go on strike in January and, and a union will be out. You you might drive by your town, you'll see them. They got this barrel with fire, you know, the a fire barrel would keep them warm and these makeshift tents set up and they're picketing on the sidewalk with their signs, you know, we need more money or whatever. They're, they're generally, money is a factor when in negotiations. And then they'll they'll get their money and they'll be out there when that contract runs out doing the exact same thing. Like it, I get that everybody wants more money and everyone wants their piece of the pie, but you, you need to be motivated by something other than money. Like your, your job has to bring you some other kind of satisfaction. It can't just be money. You, you got to feel like you're, you're making a difference. And I think even for your example, if if the reason that maybe some of these, um, when there is uh, people outside picketing for for different things, sometimes I know that it's it's also for other things other than money, and that probably makes that even more worthwhile. The third problem with working only for money is that you can it can really lack meaning or purpose. Yeah, and I found. You know, I found whenever I did get a raise at work, I, I was super excited and, and it was uh, uh, super motivating for about a week. <laughs> and then uh, I, I might slip back into my old ways, which which weren't terrible. Again, I'm over delivering, but it it, it seems that anytime I did get a, a significant pay, pay increase, it seemed short lived, like it didn't really have the lasting impact um, I thought it would. And finally, the fourth um, problem with working only for money is that money is just a means of getting you to your other goals. And if you if you can understand this one, then you can start to frame money in a different light. If you have if you have goals and aspirations, maybe fi- early financial independence, then just know that the money, the time you're trading at work, is for those goals, and and. Then you start to realize the currency you're dealing with is really time, right? If if you can, if you can have a goal that you're you're trying to deliver on, like you're trying to achieve, and you 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 getting you're getting so much money at, from your job, you can equate that to how long it's going to take you to achieve your goals, and then you you can quickly rationalize that I, that I'm trading my time for this goal rather than just for money to go buy something on Amazon, right? You're you're, you're doing it with purpose. So the final thing I want to want to focus on today is how to approach working for more than just money. So this is kind of the key piece of... of, of this is the money part. Of the show. <laughs> this is the money part of the show. So the first, um, first way we can approach working for more than just money is realizing that what we do, um, that we serve people. And what we do in serving people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about waitressing. I'm talking about serving people that you work with serving like everywhere you work. Everybody has a customer, 
So I'm an accountant in a corporate world. I have customers, people that use my financial information to make decisions. And when they ask for a particular financial analysis, I don't roll my eyes and groan. I, I try to understand their needs and serve them. And in doing that, I have been rewarded handsomely, like financially over, over the years because I, I recognize my customers. And, and if, you, if you recognize, even within your organization, these people that are coming to you, if, if they stopped coming and asking you for stuff, your company would soon realize they don't need you, right? Like those people who are coming and needing stuff from you, they're making you important. They're making you necessary. So treat them like customers and serve them. The second way that we can approach working for more than just money is the problems we solve. Well, if you, if you just do tasks... And jobs are made up of, of a bunch of elements. Some of, them, some, some of the jobs we do, we have got mon- mundane tasks that have to be done. But at the core, every job has a problem that it needs to be solved. And we've talked about this before. If you, if you focus on solving real problems at your job, and your problem could be, if you work in the mailroom, the problem is getting the mail from the basement up to the executive office. That's a problem that needs to be solved right? The mail's no good to anybody down in the mail room. The mail needs to be in the hands of the people who need to read it. Uh, I guess mail rooms are kind of a thing of the past, <laughs> but just picture, uh, that's a visual I come up with. Um, I know I, I help people solve information with financial information, like solve real problems rather than just trying to complete a task. And that you, you will get paid handsomely if you can solve Uh, problems within your organization and uh, both of these two serving people and solving problems are ways that make you make it more rewarding for you to show up for you to be there for you to be earning that money And, and and another reason to to want to do the job that you do other than just for the money that you're earning you know i where i work people get frustrated when uh something in our accounting system goes wrong Right, they they get frustrated and they just throw their hands up in the air and they say, "This is you know," they scream obscenities and whatever. And I say, you know, in this computerized era, the only reason we're here is to deal with the stuff that this computer system can't do. If this computer system could do everything we wanted to do, none of us would be here. You know that that that's the way technology works. So you should look at these problems that the computer can't solve as a gift. <laughs> that gift is your job. So look at it that way. Look at, you're here to deal with the exceptions. This computer system's dealing with the rules. You're, de- you're, you're here to deal with what goes, what it can't accomplish. And there's a programmer working really hard to solve what this computer can't currently do, which will eventually put you out of work. So just de- be thankful there's a problem to be solved. That's why you know I keep saying, if this computer system was any better, there would only be half of us here. And <laughs> you can guess which half of us would be here, right? The ones who hate solving the problems would be gone. That's, I, I actually really like that. I haven't heard that before, but I, I really like that. And the third of five ways that we can approach working for more than just money is do more than is asked of you, which you've talked about already. Over-deliver whenever you can. And, and, do more than is asked for you. When, when somebody asks you to do something, I, I can spot the bare minimum a mile away. And the bare minimum, you can find people seven days a week 
who can do the bare minimum of any job, like just given the, the skill set. The bare minimum, that is, the bare minimum is, is what's going to keep you, your, hopefully keep you employed, but it's not going to get you paid. It's not, again, we're, we're talking about working for more than money. If you do just the bare minimum, then you'll be paid accordingly. But if you do more than's being asked for you, do you do more than being asked? Eventually, I, I can't promise you, but I can be pretty certain the money will find you. You don't have to go find it. If you constantly do more than anyone is asking of you, people are going to notice. And when people notice that, you will be given opportunities to earn more money in, in, a, in a reputable organization that you will be rewarded but then the people who are just wanting to do the bare minimum, those are those are the individuals who are just showing up for the money. Exactly. But and it's kind of counterintuitive because more money will naturally follow you if you do more. So it's kind of that, that counterintuitive approach. The fourth of five ways that we can approach working for more than just money is uh, continuous improvement. And I live by this. So I have this theory that I approach, I've always approached work this way. So everybody's got some aspect of their job that is just killing them. You know, it, it's just, it buries them every day they, they, or every week or every month. They get this one part of their job and it's the hardest part of their job. And it just, it's agonizing to do. And it, it's, it's just full of errors and it, it's your Achilles heel. It is your weak point. It is, it is a thing that you feel is going to break you all the time. Whenever, any job I've had, I take that and I invest every ounce of extra energy I got to master that part of my job and, and make it the least of my problems. And when I, when I solve that one, there's, there's, then there's obviously something else that, that rises to the top and this is now my new problem. This next thing is occupying most of my time. And it, and it, 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 whenever somebody comes to me with something that's wrong, it's got it's going to be this right because because this thing I I haven't got my hands around it yet, so I continuously improve that aspect of my job, and you you can cycle right through everything a couple times and continuously improve them, and this just makes your life easier and all the people around you's life easier. I love that, and 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 kind of in combination with that the final way that we can approach working for more than just money is to never stop learning and why would you why would you stop learning why will life is boring if you're not gaining knowledge of some kind i mentioned see i work with numbers a lot so i mentioned you're either really good with numbers or really good with words well i'm a terrible speller right and my grammar is awful i don't know if you ever read our show notes <laughs> courtney actually works on them a lot but if if they ever get it without her uh <laughs> you know, doing any work to them that you, you might know who was who involved. I, I, I'm always, I'm taking courses and stuff. I am always trying to improve that aspect of me, my, my, the, the word side of my world. Cause I, I clearly have the numbers figured out. So I, I'm always learning. I, I, in fact, I'm fascinated with technology, even getting to this podcasting game. I was trying to learn podcasting. I'm now trying to get involved in video editing creating a youtube channel i really want to get involved i'm going down that rabbit hole because i i just can't sit still i always want to be learning so even in my personal life i'm trying to gain knowledge 
And the organization I belong to as an accountant, they require uh, continuous education. Uh, you have to be gaining so many hours of continuous education every year. So it's it's kind of imposed on me. And I know some of my coworkers roll their eyes at it. I love it. I love that. It's it's not that I it's being paid for. It's just that I have this this platform to get it from. So it's I think continuous learning when I retire from work, I'm going to continue to learn. I'm, I'm very motivated. I love reading. I love consuming, uh, podcasts. I, I just, if you look at my YouTube feed, it's documentaries and educational things all the time. So I, I think there's nothing more invigorating than learning something new. Could not agree more. And I think that's a good place to end today's show on working more working for more than just money uh, we talked about the problem with working only for money and again we concluded that with how to approach working for more than just money if you have any thoughts or takeaways from today's episode we'd love to hear from you, you can always reach out to us by visiting our website at livelifesimple.ca or sending us an email at livelifesimple365 at gmail.com all that will be in the show notes And on that note, thank you so much for being here with us for another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. We will see you back here soon. Until then, keep it simple. Simple.